Before we get into the word, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness, your faithfulness, your provision, even as we just see it this morning. And we're thankful for what you're doing in our church family. Thank you for calling us to be a part. Um, God, I ask today as we get into your word that you would open our, our, uh, our minds to understand, that you would open our hearts to receive and believe, that, um, that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit and by your grace to walk out what we learn and uh, that we would be able to be an example, a light that shines in our community of all that you've done in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you, I know we just prayed, so I'm going to ask you one more time real quick to close your eyes for a second. Everybody close your eyes. And I want you to think about yourself for a moment. Who you are, what you're like, what do you look like, think about what you sound like, what do you enjoy, what do you dislike? All these different dynamics of you, I want you to just picture yourself and think about yourself for a moment. All right, open your eyes now. Here's the next step I want you to do. I want you to take a second, and I want you to look around. Look around this room for a moment, not at the aesthetics and the building and all that. Look at all the different people. In fact, let's ramp up the awkwardness a second and try and see if you can make eye contact with someone all right, make eye contact with someone, and let's see, how long can you maintain eye contact before you're just too uncomfortable that you got to break eye contact? Yeah, it just got real awkward real fast, right? Somewhere in this room, an introvert just died inside. Say, no, don't tell anyone to look at me. Why are they looking? Why did they smile at me? Take a second to think about now, as you think about yourself and who you are, what you're like, and then all these different people in our church. We have a little over 360 active members in our church. Uh, any given weekend, we average around 450 people. If you include the, the youth on the weekends, you got like 500-ish people during the week. If everybody came every week, we would have over 600 people in our church here every single week. Um, and so that's a lot of different. That's a lot of unique. That's a lot that all of us bring to the table once again in who we are. That's, that's a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different personalities, perspectives, opinions, passions, wounds, stories, giftings, preferences, tastes, styles, so much more. That's a lot of differences. And in this church people series, we already have talked about the need for forgiveness because that many people with that many differences are going to hurt each other. The other thing further that we want to consider is not only are we called to forgive one another and tolerate each other, but we are called to walk in unity. We talked about how difficult it can be, it can be for church people because we're all sinners who are saved by grace and we're still growing, still being sanctified, but this unity we're called to can be very difficult, not only because of sin, but also because of the beautiful differences, the, the diversity in the body of Christ. Despite all these thousands of variables that come into the reasons as to why we could be or even should be divided, we are called to strive to achieve and maintain unity. 
That's a tall order. When you think again about all the different people and all the different opinions, perspectives, backgrounds, preferences, tastes, styles, all of that, a call to unity with all of those differences is a tall order, dare I say impossible. Praise God, we have a God who is an expert with the impossible, at doing the impossible, at taking so many different people. And that's just the representation of our church and our community, not even thinking about the global church around the world with billions of people who are all seeking, pursuing, following, and worshiping Jesus Christ. The encouraging part of this uphill battle of Finding, fighting for, and preserving biblical unity, this uphill battle is one in which we are filled with the Spirit of God and He empowers us to do it. We are given the Word of God and He shows us how to do it. See, God is committed to our unity. He's committed to our unity. We should be too. God committed himself to our unity to the extent that he used the cross of Jesus Christ to break down the wall, the dividing wall of hostility is what Ephesians would tell us. Remember in the book of Ephesians where Paul's saying, hey, there was this division between Jews and Gentiles and on the cross of Christ, Jesus kicked that wall over. And so people who were hostile to each other because of all their different backgrounds, all their different preferences, all the deep, deep running divisions. We're talking about ancient historic divisions, war-fought divisions, theologically passionate divisions, politically ambitious divisions. Jesus tore down the dividing wall on the cross. That shows right there how committed God is to our unity as a church. And this is actually another one of the reasons that communion, when we observe communion and we partake of the bread and the wine or the juice, when we do that together, it's another beautiful picture, a, a symbol of the body and the blood of Christ, which has united us back into relationship with God first. Jesus Christ made way for us to be united back again with God through his body on the cross and through his blood shed. But not only that, he takes it a step further and his body and blood accomplished unity amongst all of us together. That's why we take communion, common union. Recognizing that despite all these many differences that we have, we have a common union in Jesus Christ that even though the things that could divide us may be deep and long-running and, and, and emotional and, and impassioned things, none of the things that divide us are greater than the thing that unites us, which is the cross of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit of God, whereby we have been baptized into one spirit, one body, one faith. Amen? These many different things, all these different elements, different backgrounds. We've got different backgrounds that could divide us. Most of you are Midwesterners. I grew up in the South. My whole life, up until 10 years ago, I was abundantly using phrases like y'all. And you can't say that up here because people are like, what is that? What? 
I mean, you get what it means, but it makes you stick out like a sore, thrum, sore thumb. And now I go back and visit my family in Texas, and I was like, you guys. And they're like, you guys? That's like extra work. <laughs> when you could just say y'all. I remember when I moved here, there was, um, I'd lived here maybe a month, just about a month, and there was a dear loved one, a, a family friend back in Arkansas who was uh, sick and getting close to passing away and was calling family and calling friends to learn about it and when I could come down and visit and all that. And I called this, uh, this dear, dear woman. She'd probably be like my second, my second mom. And uh, I called her to find out some more things about what was going on. And I, I called her and I said, uh, she answered the phone. I said, hey, is this Miss June? And she said, yeah, it sure is. And I said, hey, this is Stephen Maris. And she said, Oh, dear Lord, you already sound like one of them Yankees. <laughs> I'd only lived here a month at that point. But our cultural backgrounds could be something that divides us. Oh, you know how they are down there in the South, or oh, those New Yorkers, or oh, the West Coast, or East Coast. It can be things that divide us. Could be our, our passions about sports, our different teams. There's one team that's sitting out this week, but we'll go ahead and move the conversation on real fast. All right, we have uh, different financial backgrounds and situations, different careers. Sometimes there's jobs and careers that people have where this type of job or career doesn't like the people who are in this job or career because it complicates their work and makes it more difficult or whatever it can be. Different communities. Whether you're from Falls or from Kohler or Plymouth or Howard's Grove or Sheboygan or Keele or Waldo, where's Waldo? Wherever you're from, there's all these different communities that I've been in these places and I have lived in Falls and in Keele and in Howard's Grove and been in the restaurants or been at the sporting events for kids where you hear them talking about, yeah, you know, the people over in that community, they're a little whatever. And, oh, yeah, that community's like this. And in Newsburg, they're, hmm. And if you're, you think about Kohler, they're like this. And if you think about, like, there's all these even locally things that could divide us. Our opinion on whether or not chili has noodles. <laughs> Here we go. Our perspective on current events and politics, our convictions and passions around all that, as abundant as the reasons for division are among us, the reasons for common union, for communion, are greater, and that is the body and blood of Christ. And we see this throughout scripture, especially in the New Testament, where people from all sorts of different backgrounds were united together in Christ and they could worship him in unity. They could pursue him together. They could give themselves to his work of the Great Commission. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing and a testimony to the work of the Holy Spirit and the saving grace of God when this happens. What unites us is greater than what divides us. Further, we know God is committed to our unity because he gave us his spirit to make us one. And one of the many reasons he gave us his Holy Spirit was to unite us. Let's take a real quick survey of the New Testament. I want to take a look at some verses very quickly. I'm just going to run through these very fast to help us feel the frequency and the weight, how much the New Testament talks about, how much it talks about 
unity. Let's look really quick. Romans 15, 5 through 7. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. Harmony with one another. In accord with Jesus Christ. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 1 and 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and same judgment. Let's hop to Galatians. Galatians 3, 27 and 28. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. You're all one in Christ. In Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, Paul said this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in all. Amen. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. Paul said, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. Let's go to the next book, Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let's hop over to what he wrote to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in, in the Lord and admonish you, verse 13, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Right into that local church. Let's see what Paul said to, uh, to Titus in Titus 3, 9 through 11. But avoid foolish controversies and, and, and genealogies and dissensions and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Verse 10, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Speaking to the dangers and the warnings of division. Why? Because the unity in the church matters. Philemon doesn't have a verse that, that, that you can zoom in on and say that this verse is talking about unity. Rather, the entire letter that Paul wrote to, the, to Philemon is a letter that is, is seeking unity between Philemon and Onesimus, who was his slave, who ran away. Paul sends in Onesimus back to Philemon with a letter saying, hey, receive, Philemon, or receive Onesimus back to you, not as a slave, rather as a brother in Christ. He wants that reconciliation there to preserve unity between them. The book of James is a very practical book that we're going to actually um, uh, go through after this series. We're going to be in the book of James. But James is a book that, that gives warnings against not practicing partiality where we treat people differently based on different situations, different dynamics, how wealthy they are or wealthy they are not. And so that is, in a sense, very relative and connected to unity. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, 
a tender heart and a humble mind. And then finally, 1 John is a book that talks extensively at length about the love we are to have first from God and for God and then for one another. And that love once more unites us together. That's just a quick little survey of New Testament verses uh, or of New Testament books and what they say about unity. And that's only the books that, or that's only books that I hit one verse from, whereas Romans, Ephesians, and Philippians all talk about unity multiple times, way more than the one verse I quoted from them. So, if you can't tell, unity is important to God. It was important to the apostles. It ought to be important to us. We ought to take that very seriously. Now, reasons why biblical unity is important. Number one, this is going to blow your mind, because the Bible says so. A lot. I just went through a few verses. There's a lot more that talk about it. Number two, reasons why biblical unity is important. Number one, Jesus prayed for it and he paid for it. Come on, we should start a song right there. Jesus prayed for our unity and he paid for our unity. I already talked about how from Ephesians 2, it says that he tore down the dividing wall on his body on the cross, that he crushed the divisions in the body of Christ with his sacrifice on the cross, Jesus also prayed for it. Let's turn really quick to John chapter 17. John 17 verse 20 through 26 says this, I do not ask for these only, talking about his, his disciples who were with him in the upper room. He's, he's praying for them right now before he goes to the cross. He's praying for his disciples and he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Is that you? It's me. Do you believe in Jesus Christ through the word of the apostles? I I sure hope so. And so he's saying for us, for us, verse 21, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that you also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Verse 25, O righteous Father, Even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Listen to that beautiful, beautiful, powerful prayer that Jesus prayed 2,000 years ago with you and me in mind. He didn't say not only them, not only Not only my 12 that are with me in this room right now. Actually, at that point, it would have been 11. Judas would have already left. But not these who are my my closest disciples, but even those who later would believe in me through their word. Jesus had us in mind 2,000 years ago when he prayed that we would be one. And not only that, but he says, the same way, Father, that you and I are one. That is a a unity 
that is profound beyond any other picture of unity we have in this world. The unity of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. That, that is, that's the greatest picture of unity that exists. And Jesus prays that we would share a similar unity. Jesus prayed for it and he paid for it. Three, why does unity matter? Because it's a work of the Spirit among us. One of the verses we read earlier in Ephesians chapter four, it was that, that the spirit, we have all been baptized into one spirit. How is it that people who are so different and have so many different backgrounds, perspectives, opinions, and all that can be unified? Why? Because the Holy Spirit is at work in us, maturing us, growing us, pruning us, refining us, developing us, sanctifying us so that we would think about ourselves less and about others more which is absolutely necessary if we are to seek unity. Four, why is unity important? Here we go, the most practical point, because we need each other. We need each other. Go ahead, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is one of the best pictures of, of how in which the body of Christ needs one another, how we need each other. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote uh, this first letter to the Corinthians. There was a lot of divisions among them, a lot of problems and issues and challenges among them. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'll start in verse 12, I'll read through verse 20. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, here we go again, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. If you're saved, you've drunk of the same Holy Spirit. We've been baptized and united in one spirit from God. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of, mem of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose if you're an underliner or a highlighter, just go ahead and highlight and underline as he chose because that'll help you as he chose. 19, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Listen, we are all uniquely deficient, but we're also uniquely gifted. God has gifted and wired and designed you with abilities, with strengths that I do not have. I have gifts and strengths that you do not have. As we looked around the room earlier and made awkward eye contact with each other, there was representations of so many gifts and strengths and talents and abilities and also weaknesses and deficiencies. There are things that I will never be good at. 
that you are proficient at. Why? Because God, with his master plan, wove you together in your mother's womb to be good at things that I'm not good at. And he had things in mind for you that you could do that I cannot do, and vice versa amongst all of us. We need each other. And if all the church, if all of us were just the same, where God had this clone machine where he's like, I want all Christians to be exactly the same, we would be very ineffective because there's so many things that all of us do not bring. But when you bring all of us together, that body is complete. And the beauty is, once more, that it says, as he chose, we can rejoice and delight in the way that God wired us, the way that God designed us, the way that he made us, the, the, the specific things he gave you. And in a world today that's telling us, no, if you don't like who you are, change who you are. No, like God made you the way you are because there's things he wants you to do. Now, of course, we are called to grow. There are, call, there are areas where we want to put things off. There are things we want to learn to develop. And there are areas wherein we can grow and should grow and should change but not to the extent that it's changing the giftings and the wirings that God has given us for his purposes. We all are complementary to one another. God is glorified not by one person being this rock star superhero Christian who does it all, but by a diverse assortment of different, unique individuals who have been united together in Christ and in one spirit, who all bring something unique to the table. Why is it that lately, over the last few years, I feel like I've seen this more and more every year, that there's this trend of quarterbacks, professional quarterbacks in the NFL, buying these lavish, expensive gifts for their offensive line? Because no matter what, if you ask all of us, you took a poll, hey, what's the most important position in football? Everyone knows it's the quarterback. They're the person who's uh, reading the defense, watching, observing, they're making the calls. They're the person that if you ask any GM, anybody who's paying, who's being paid to make the calls and call the shots, they're going to tell you, of course, the quarterback's the most important position. That's why it's the highest paid position. Yet, these quarterbacks are recognizing, if my O-line doesn't like me, I'm in trouble. And so they're trying to maintain a healthy and positive relationship. So now it's a trend that the quarterbacks every year buy these incredible Christmas gifts like golf carts for their offensive linemen or whatever kind of different things they might buy for them. I've seen them buy IMAX or different uh, uh, scooters and fun little things like that. Why? Because they recognize even though I might be the only one who can deliver that ball right where it needs to go, I can't do it if the line is not blocking for me. Further, the quarterback knows that if there's not a running back who I can't hand the ball off to, who can go through and take a little bit of a pounding that I can't take, then we're not going to accomplish the goal together. Further, if there's not wide receivers who aren't running their routes meticulously and perfectly on time and, on, and in sync, then my interception ratio is going to go up and we're going to turn the ball over. No matter how much one position might be important. It takes the entire team working together to accomplish the goal, which is that win. And unless everybody is doing their part, then they cannot be successful. Listen, 
If you don't believe our unity is important now, if you don't believe our, impor- our, our unity as a church and as believers is important now, just wait till persecution continues to heat up and rise. Wait till persecution of Christians heats up, continues to heat up in America. We think unity is just one of those minor, like B-grade messages in the church and in, in Scripture because if my faith only requires that I just come to church once a week and see that person I don't like once a week, then, important, then, then unity doesn't feel that important. If our Christianity is just coming to church and sitting together for an hour and singing some songs and listening to a sermon, and then we go about our lives, unity doesn't feel very important. But if we are to be missional, which we want to be, amen? If we want to make a gospel impact in our spheres of influence and even beyond, out into the community and beyond, then we have to have unity. Also, if we are to stand strong against persecution or against voices or pressures against believers, we will need unity in a way that we don't feel the need for unity right now. If we were wondering if the police were going to kick through the door and take us all to jail because we've gathered to worship Christ, our feeling of the need for unity would be way more apparent. If we were like those living in places in the world where they're wondering if someone's going to raid their home church, take them all captive, and decapitate them because of their faith in Christ, we would feel the need for unity a lot more than we modern Westerners feel that need right now. And, that, and I feel like that dial, that temperature is only going to keep getting turned up to where we are going to start to see and feel the ways in which we need each other more and more. Why not, one, see what the Word of God says, Two, why not also see that coming? Three, beyond that, just feel in our own lives, and our own deficiencies, how much we need each other and fight for unity now. Amen? So finally, as we wrap up, how to facilitate unity. Because this whole time I've been saying unity is important. The Bible says so. God has designed us to need each other. We need unity. I know this is a verse that we read just a few weeks ago, but go ahead and turn one more time to Philippians chapter 2 because I think it's maybe the best passage in Scripture of not only the call to unity, but a how-to in unity, practical implications of how we as the body of Christ are to preserve unity, fight for unity, work for unity. Philippians chapter 2 And we will read verses two through eight. Complete my joy, Paul writing to the Philippians, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
or fought for or clinged on to, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is powerful. This is profound. Right here, Paul kind of gives us three steps, if you will, of how to. He says, complete my joy by being unified, by being in one accord. And he says, here's how you're going to do it. Number one, value others above yourself. Value others above yourself. In verse three, he said, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. I saw another translation that said, count others more valuable than yourself. I want you to try and think when you look at others, especially those, especially those who you might struggle to preserve unity with, look at them and think, they're more valuable than me. Now, in a before God and valuable to God way, of course we know that we are all equal. We are all one. We are all equally valuable to the Lord. We are all loved by him. But if we are to accomplish unity, Paul is trying to say, you need to look at others and think in a way that they're more significant than you. They're more valuable than you. And when you look at them that way, it will help you humble yourself. He said, humble yourself by doing this. It'll help you humble yourself and preserve unity. Second step, if we look at verse four, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Step two, look to the interests of others, not just your own. Don't just be thinking about yourself and what you bring to the table. When you're thinking about, how do I wanna serve my church family on Team WOG? Do you just come to the conversation to talk to Gabby and say, well, here's the things that I like doing, what I wanna do, and here's what I would prefer? That's not necessarily wrong, but what if you came to it like the way that Ken and Neethi did in the video saying, where's the need? Where's the need? How can I prefer others before myself? And not only in a church serving way, but in any way, in the conversations that you have, in the decisions that you're making, when it comes to dinner, when it comes to all sorts of different things, can we consider others before considering ourselves? Ask yourself, what matters to them? Thirdly, from verses five through eight, the third step, and this is the one that's most powerful, if you will, have the mindset or attitude of Christ. Paul's, Paul is arguing for unity amongst the church. And he says you need humility to do this. You need to think about others above yourself. You need to prefer others instead of yourself. This is all done by humility. And in case you're struggling with humility or don't think that you are called to it, let's look at our master Let's look at our Lord. Let's look at the God of all creation, the sovereign one over all, who's currently upholding all things by the word of his power, the one through whom and to whom and by whom all things were created, to whom all glory exists forever, humbled himself. He took on the form of a servant. Let's read again verses five through eight. Have this mind among yourselves, this mindset, this attitude among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Right there, we like to use things that we feel we deserve. 
I deserve this treatment. I deserve preference. I deserve to be considered. I deserve to be whatever you might think that you deserve. Jesus Christ sharing equality with the Father, yet subordinate to the Father, obeys the Father in humility, even to the point of death on a cross. There is nothing in your life that you could humble yourself to that would be more brutally painful, difficult, harder than what Jesus went through on the cross. Nothing. And so if you look at the call to, to, to unity and the calls for humility and you're thinking, oh, man, that's going to be hard for me to do, Lord. Like that person gets under my skin. Or this person just rubs me the wrong way. I'm not sure I could do. God, if I do that, then that means I have to swallow my pride. That's hard. If, uh, but, but they did me wrong, Lord. Just look at Jesus on the cross. The ways in which he humbled himself, took on flesh, paid for our offenses against him. That is the most profound display of humility that has ever been or ever will be. And we as Christians, Christ followers, disciples, studying our master, studying our Lord, pursuing him, need to look at him and go, I want to be like that. Lord, help me, Holy Spirit, transform me. God, give me the humility that I cannot fabricate on my own, the willpower that I lack. God, would you give me the ability to humble myself? Lord, let me behold Jesus so much that his humility becomes beautiful to me, that I could set aside the equality I think I deserve. All the things that I think I've earned or what I bring to the table, the entitlements that I could try and say I deserve and just look at Jesus and go, he humbled himself. I can and I should too. How do we respond? Simply put, we fight for unity. We fight for it. Whenever you see something, experience something, or even smell something that has the faintest tinge of division, fight it. Shut it down. Resist it. Humble yourself. Consider others above yourself. Prefer others before yourself. Look at Jesus and let's fight that division with the cross of Jesus Christ. Throw the gospel of grace, a gospel of reconciliation at that division. Confront that division with the cross that Jesus tore down the division with. And two, we talked about this last week and we're going to talk about it more next week. Forgive one another. Ask for forgiveness from one another. There is no room for offense or division on a battlefield. And we are called as soldiers in Christ's army to go out and to wage a spiritual war against forces of darkness, wherein there are billions of people in this world bound in darkness and the bondage of sin and the power of the enemy. And we are the ones here on the battlefield, and you cannot have division in a battlefield 
We all must be on the same team fighting for one another because why? Our cause is greater. And I'm a guy who loves war movies and you can watch all sorts of war movies where you see guys from all their different backgrounds again in trenches together who put aside all those differences. Why? Because they depend on each other and if one of them does not do what they're supposed to do, it doesn't end well. Lord, I pray today by your Holy Spirit that you would grant us in our church, word of grace, but even the body of Christ at large, other churches in our community, other believers whom we know, that you would give us the unity that your word calls us to. God, we recognize we can't do it without your help and without your power. God, I ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would bond us and knit us together in love. God, I ask that you would just give us this this powerful and peculiar to us love for each other. Give us this unity, God, that cannot be crushed or, or affected or broken by all these small, petty, temporal, worldly things. But that the eternal worth of Jesus Christ and the eternal mission you have called us to would unite us together where we link arms and march forward together because you have work for us to do. God, grant us humility. Let us consider others more significant than ourselves. Let us humble ourselves. But ultimately, Lord, let us continually, continually look more and more at Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.